You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. Good morning, friends. If you would, open your Bible to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This parable is a, is a well-known parable. You've probably heard of it before. You've probably studied it in Sunday school class, heard a sermon about it before. And at first, when you first read it, it's a very strange parable to read. Uh, when I was reading and studying this, I thought it was similar to Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And I think of Ebenezer Scrooge, and in that story, he's a greedy, rich old man who just, he really just hates joy. In the story, he sees his future of, of death with no one to mourn for him at the end of the story. And when shown his gravestone and, and confronted with his fate, this is how he reacts in the story. So the story says, the spirit pointed from the grave to him and back again. No spirit, oh no, no, the finger was still there. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at his robe. Hear me, I am not the man that I was. I will not be the man I must have been for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? He ultimately turns from his old ways to become a happy and generous person. He's a good neighbor then. He's giving. He buys the goose for Tiny Tim and his family. He gets a second chance, but in this story... We see the rich man does not get a second chance. He dies. And the great chasm between him and Abraham and Lazarus 
There's no chance of crossing from one side to the other. And what we want to do today is to show that this parable points to your future yet to come if you are not in Christ. So why would in this setting, when we're reading through Luke, why would Jesus tell a story like this? And I'm sure we can figure out at just first reading when we read it this morning that he's obviously trying to warn against something. He's warning someone. Looking at the surrounding context in the passage, we'll be able to get a better understanding. So this parable must be understood in light of its audience and surrounding context in the passage. Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. He's not talking to his disciples. He's turned his attention to the Pharisees. Jesus had been telling a different parable to his disciples earlier in chapter 16. And even before that, you have the famous chapter with the parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. He was talking to his disciples then. He'd been telling these parables when the Pharisees ridiculed him at the end. Look at Luke 16, 14. It says, The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Luke describes the Pharisees as lovers of money. That's the specific attribute of these people that he points out, he brings out in that passage before. There's a lot of other things that Luke could have used to describe them, but he chooses to call them lovers of money. Jesus then begins to address the Pharisees, as we read. He rebukes them as self-righteous and blind to the matters of the law and the prophets. We see both in this passage, we see both a love for money and a misunderstanding of the Scriptures as central themes. And these factors of the audience and the context, they help us to find the goal of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells the Pharisees the parable of the rich man and Lazarus to warn them of the consequences of their love for money and self-imposed blindness to God's scriptures and to cause them to repent and trust in him as the Messiah. So what does this parable mean for us today? It is very similar to what the Pharisees were to understand. We must understand that trusting in treasure is treacherous and we must repent and trust in Christ as he is revealed in scripture. So now let's review this parable and play, pay close attention to the details as Jesus and Luke are laying them out. Look at verses 19 through 22. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Since this parable is directed towards the Pharisees, the main character of the story is the rich man. The rich man stands in the place of the Pharisees. It begins by describing him as rich, 
that he was wearing purple and fine clothes, and that he was feasting lavishly. And so what we understand, purple was an expensive dye to dye clothes, and fine linens aren't just your everyday clothes, but this man is wearing them as his everyday clothes. So we see this well-dressed man, and as the saying goes, if the clothes make the man, he had it made. He had a good life, and most likely he was respected by all, respected by his friends, respected by religious leaders, respected by his just acquaintances. A common belief at the time was that riches meant that you were in good standing with Yahweh. If you're prospering, if you have a lot of land, you're in good favor and good standing with Yahweh. We see this belief a chapter later in Jesus' interaction with the rich ruler. Jesus says in 17, 24, and 25, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those around him responded by saying, then who can be saved? In other words, they were asking, if not even this rich man can be saved, then no one can be saved. Contrasted to the rich man is Lazarus. Lazarus is a poor Man, and he's clothed in painful sores, not in fine linen. He sits at the gate of the rich man's mansion, waiting for food scraps. The language of verse 21 indicates that he did not receive scraps, but the only comfort he received was from the tongues of dogs as they licked those sores. Just so that makes sense, when you cut your finger or you burn your finger, where's the first place it goes? To your mouth. For some reason, that just, it makes it feel better. No matter how disgusting it is, we put that burnt finger or cut finger in our mouth. And those dogs, when they came, that was the only relief he got. He didn't get food scraps. He got the tongues of dogs. This was the outcast of society. Much of the book of Luke, you see, he focuses a lot of his attention on the outcast. He looks at the Gentiles, those that have illnesses, those with disabilities, he focuses on those people, the oppressed, and those that are just the outcasts of society. And here we find another one in Lazarus. People looked at him with a frown on their face. They turned their noses up at him. He was the scum of the earth, and in their opinion, he was the scum of heaven as well. Fast forward and we see that both men die, a man on top and a man at the very bottom. The rich man is buried, and being buried was a sign of respect and dignity. Those that buried the rich man most likely were confident that he would go on to be with Yahweh, Moses, and Abraham. They said good things at his funeral. They spoke about how godly of a man he was. Lazarus, on the other hand, dies in front of that same gate. He's not buried, but he gets the grandest exit of the two of them. He's escorted by angels to Abraham's side. One man ascends to the heavens while the other descends into the dirt. Look at verse 23 through 26. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. We find out where the rich man actually ended up. He's in hell. He looks up to see Abraham a great way off. What probably surprised him the most was that Lazarus was right there next to him. This is supposed to picture, you see Lazarus in Abraham, at Abraham's side or at Abraham's bosom. And this is supposed to be a picture of a feast And Lazarus has the most honorable seat right next to Abraham, much like you see John sitting right next to Jesus, at Jesus' side reclining with him. The man that begged for food and got none is now at the best seat at the table. The rich man is tormented with fire. This is where we see a great reversal of of roles. The the script has been flipped. Lazarus is now the one feasting, while the rich man is the one begging. Lazarus found comfort from the tongues of the dogs on earth, but now the rich man in hell does not even get to have his tongue soothed with water from the tip of a beggar's finger. Abraham makes it clear. The rich man invested in the things of the world and got the rewards of it. He had a good life on earth. He didn't mope around in his unbelief, sad about it. He had a good life. And he got the rewards of it. While Lazarus was mistreated, most likely by the rich man. Notice that the rich man knew Lazarus' name. He said, send Lazarus. I mean, the guy's sitting in front of your gate. You have to see him when you're leaving. The rich man had his chance to listen to the law and to the prophets, but instead hoped in his money. It served him well on earth. He did not have to be burdened with benevolence for this poor beggar. But now he is in torment and there is no chance of him crossing the great chasm between him and Abraham. This chasm is a picture of the final and eternal separation from Yahweh. There is no more chances to reach the heavenly places. Again, this imagery parallels to the rich man to Lazarus while he was on earth. Lazarus stood at the rich man's front door, easily accessible to the rich man to help him. The rich man did not help him. Now Lazarus... Nor Abraham can help the rich man, even if they wanted to. No one can go from where Abraham is to hell, and no one can go from hell to Abraham. Now finally look at verses 27 through 31. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said... 
they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Once the rich man finally understands, he comes to grips with the fact that he is in hell forever. He begs that his brothers be warned. Send Lazarus. He still doesn't understand. His, Abraham tells him that they can't find a, they have to find the solution in Scripture. They can find a solution in Scripture. The rich man stops Abraham. He says, no, 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 that's not going to work. It's not working now. I read the same thing and it didn't help me. They're reading it now probably and it's not helping them. Surely if a dead man rises from the dead to deliver a message, Abraham, they will believe him. Abraham concludes by saying the same thing. If they will not listen to Scripture, then nothing will convince them. Now let's look at the two main themes in this parable. Idolatry and spiritual blindness. From this parable, we understand that Jesus is valuable and that the Word is powerful. First of all, Jesus is valuable, so treasure Him more than anything else. We see in the parable that the rich man has a heart problem. He loves his money more than God and his promises just like the Pharisees do. He wore his purple clothes and his fine linens every day and he ate great meals. He did this because he had the money to do it. He, he had the means to do so. He wasn't living above them. He was living by them. Obviously, his heart was not devoted to Yahweh. He did not share what he had with those who had need. Lazarus died a hungry man at the rich man's gate. The rich man was not a man of God, but he was his own man. He was successful in this life. He was well respected by church members and pastors, the religious people and his friends. And many would ask after seeing his actual fate, if he cannot be saved, then who can? And we see in Lazarus, he's not really the main character, but we see a poor man who had nothing but the promises of God. We can know that he trusted in these promises because where do we find him? We find him with Abraham at the end of the parable. He's been escorted there by angels. He hoped in nothing other than God's promises. What do you trust in? Brothers and sisters, does your anxiousness rise and fall based on the number of dollars in your bank account? Would you be left absolutely hopeless if your plans for the future have been interrupted? Would all hope be lost if your parents died? Would all hope be lost if your children died? I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be the case. Christ must be our only hope. We should be prepared to die at any moment with the hope that Christ will be there for us. There should be no talk of Jesus can come back after I'm married. I can die easy once I see my children grow up and do well for themselves. He is the only sure thing we can have. All this that we have here can be taken away either at the end of our life or in the middle of it. 
Christ is worthy of our love and devotion. He will never leave us even after our death. He was there before we were created. And so how can we know about Christ and have a hope in Him? We find a knowledge and a hope in the scriptures that have been handed down to us, spoken from the mouth of God. God's, secondly, God's word is powerful and it will not let you trust in anything else. Another problem that the rich man had was that he was blind to scripture, much like the Pharisees. He read but did not understand. He read and did not really want to understand. He was doubly blind. He was a blind man that put on a blindfold. He did not want to believe in the promises that he read. He didn't care. He had all the money in the world. Why should he? And when he cries out for his brothers, he even asks that a a dead man warn them of the torture to come. He doesn't ask for their eyes to be opened because he, he doesn't really see that as a need. Even in hell, his eyes are still blind. He can't understand that scripture, the, the scriptures were his brother's only chance at being saved. He says they won't work. Now we know, if you're a member at Antioch East and a believer, we know that the scriptures are powerful. But don't take my word for it or anyone else's word for it. Look at what the Bible says about itself. Luke 24, 44 through 47. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In this passage we see... Jesus has just risen from the dead and he's explaining these things to the believers. And what he's saying for, the, for validity and believing in this and for taking a message to all the ends of the nations, he doesn't point to the event that just happened that I was resurrected. He doesn't say I was dead for three days. Here's what happened during that time and what I saw and what I'm going to tell you about. He says, no, the scriptures told you about this. Look at them and look at them again and again and again. He points at them for the validity of his resurrection. He doesn't point to his resurrection as the validity for Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 16-19. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from the heaven. While we were with him on the holy mountain, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter witnessed the transfiguration. That's what he's saying. And then he says, but we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. He points them to Scripture again. He's saying, don't take my word for it. Look at what the prophet said would happen. And what the prophet said the Messiah would be. And keep that like a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 
19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Think about the longest love poem that was ever written. It's not about a person. It's about the Word of God. It's Psalm 119. 176 verses are devoted to the goodness, fullness, and necessity of Scripture. So the problem is not the Word and its efficiency. The problem is with the reader being blind to what it says. Not even a dead man from heaven could save you. He couldn't even convince you there was a problem. It makes sense that the one who spoke all things into existence must now speak new life into our dead spirits. Now we have the word fully given. Christ is the main character of all 66 books. They all point to him. We must read scripture and understand that it is not our last resort, but our best and only hope. In it we find the Christ, Jesus who was crucified on our behalf, and more than that, he rose so that we can enter into glory with him. Ebenezer Scrooge received a warning from the spirit of Christmas yet to come. Today, you receive a warning from the word of the God of creation. Ebenezer took heed of the warning and he received. And today I want to offer you two charges to take and obey. First, you must treasure Christ above everything else. Fine clothes, good meals, and a big house do not matter when you die. They can be taken away from you even while you are alive. Trust in Christ now. He was faithful before this world was around. He was faithful in his life to the Father. He was faithful on the cross, and he is faithful even now, alive and well. Trust in him. Second, read the scriptures until your eyes bleed. We want you all to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to see you once this life is over and we're in the next. Don't love your life now more than you love Christ. You will be right next to the rich man begging for water. The only way that you will come to love Christ is through the Word by reading it and hearing it and writing it down and remembering it every waking moment of your life. The rich man knows the horrors of hell. He begged that his brothers would be warned. Is there someone crying out for you in hell right now? I have a brother, I have a sister. There's no dead man coming to warn you. I am here now with God's word to warn you and show you Christ. A comfortable life on earth does not guarantee a comfortable life in eternity. Our forever hope is dependent on who we put our trust in here and now. Trust in Christ. Trust in him because scripture shows us how he lived to obey the Father, died in the place of his followers, and resurrected to reign totally and graciously forever. 